Hi, this is Bob Sorrentino from ItalianGenealogy.blog, and I'm here today with Melanie Hulse from Lo Schiavo Genealogica. Welcome, Melanie. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Bob. Thank you for having me. Uh, so this is exciting. I've, I've been looking forward to uh, this for quite some time, and I know you know you have a website, you have a, a business that help people with citizenship services and research and all of that, but my first question for you would be, did you start this because you were researching your family or how did you get started with the business? I guess it's a better way of putting it. I did uh, get started with this researching my family, but um, it was when I found out that my birth family was Italian. So it was in, I was in my 20s by the time I found that out. And, um, and in researching, I just found out how much I loved it. I love the records. I love the culture. I love everything about it. And eventually, I just got so experienced. Everyone was asking me in the archives for for help. Oh, so that's interesting. And you know, eventually, you know, I saw an opportunity there that I could actually help people and do it as a job. Oh, that's great, uh, and very interesting too, because uh, our children are adopted, and um, they're both. Uh, they were both born in the same hospital in Jacksonville, Florida, although they're not they're not related. And I've done the research on them, which has been fun, and found that Nicole and I have some ancestors way, 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 way back, uh, you know, centuries back, uh, that we have some common ancestors. So, um, so it's your it's your both your birth parents were Italian. Uh, no, just my mother. She was Italian. Okay, and. Did you find when you started doing the research, did you find anything like extremely interesting or, you know, amazing that you didn't know? Or I guess you didn't know because (laughs) you didn't know. (laughs) Well, my ancestors were pretty common. They were uh, farmers and fishermen and Sicilians from three different uh, towns in the Palermo province. Um, And my ancestors came over in the late 1890s and um, early and late 1890s. Oh, so they came relatively early then. And mm-hmm. um, where did they where did they land when they come? Did they go to New York? I know a lot of Sicilians went to New Orleans. They did, and a lot went to Pittsburgh, which is my, where my ancestors went. Yes, and I, I interviewed somebody else. I, I never knew about that whole Pennsylvania connection until just recently, and I guess a lot of Italians went over there and worked in the mines and things like that. Yeah, actually, they sent uh, Padrone um, over to Italy. Um, those that worked for the stone companies and the mines and the steel companies, in order to get immigrants to to come over. Oh, that's neat. And so, how far back were you able to go um, in, in your mom's family once you found that link? I'm back to the early 1700s on two sides and um, mid 1700s on the other one. Um, there's one town that's part of my ancestry called Termini Amorese, and the, they do not allow anybody to research the parish records. So therefore, you're kind of out of stop, you know, when you get just a little bit past civil registration, which began in 1820. Oh, wow, really? I've, I've heard of a few places like that, and I had some help. Uh, researching my family, and just before my grandparents came, they lived in Circula, and the person who was helping me out 
told me that it's they're just very very difficult and circular even even with the public records they they for some reason they put a real blockade up there and i don't know why yeah it really depends um in 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 my situation there's just one particular bishop who just doesn't want it um but in my research for others i've found out sometimes they block access because an american a canadian South American has come and ripped records out of the, out of the registers and stolen them. And in those situations, sometimes then that ruins it for everybody. Yeah, that's awful. I'm trying to wrap my head around why anybody in their right mind would do something like that. <laughs> There's an area in the Bari province that includes like Gromo, Apulia, um, Torito, those types of areas. And they're very hard to get access to the parish records for because of that reason. No kidding. Yeah, my actually, that's where my mom's family is from, Torito. Uh, and my my uncle uh, Giovanni, we call him Uncle John. He only came over in 1950. Uh, when my grandparents came, he was, I think, two or three years old, and they left him with his uh, grandparents. And I heard two stories. One is they were going to go back, and the other one was that they were going to send for him. But in any event. He became of age. He had to go into the army. Then he got married and started his family. And then World War II broke out. Um, so all my cousins, you know, from my oldest uncle, were all born in Torito and lived in the same house that my great grandparents lived in. Oh, that's great. So you know the exact house and everything. Have you been there? I haven't. We were actually supposed to go uh, in April, but that didn't happen. So we're hoping now we're going to be able to go in October. We'll just have to see what happens with this whole virus thing and everything. Right. <laughs> um, but I but I did, uh, and I dropped it in the email that I sent to you, but I, I did, um, my oldest cousin from my uncle, she's, she's still alive, and I did an interview with her and talked to her about what it was like, you know, um, during the war and everything like that. And then my youngest cousin from Uncle John, he videotaped him in Bares, uh probably 20 years ago, and he never transcribed it into English. So I begged him, please, please, you have to do this. So he sat down with his sister. So we have the story from my uncle from when he used to walk the, the town with, with his grandfather who owned a cow. And if you wanted milk, they would walk up to the door and you'd say how much milk you want. And he would milk the cow in front of the door. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so fantastic stories, you know, from that family that we, you know, that we never knew unless my, my cousin had sat down with him. <laughs> um, so I wanted to talk to you a little bit or a lot about, about the services that you provide. Um, and I know you do both the research and the citizenship citizenship services. So why don't we talk about citizenship a little bit and how you could help people if they want to get their, their Italian citizenship. Okay. Um, I started helping people with their citizenship about 12, 13 years ago. Um, initially, I was just finding those really hard to find records. And I, had a, I was working for um, subcontracting with a couple of the bigger dual citizenship companies. Um, because I had a knack for finding those that they can, they couldn't find. And that kind of started it for me. And 
over time, I realized that, you know, this could be a more profitable part of my business. So I started offering the full services. Um, I work with clients to get all their documentation, um, whether they're applying at a consulate, whether they're applying in Italy, or whether they need to go and apply in Italian court because they have a female line. Um, so I can help them get all kinds of documentation. And um, I also offer a service to help people apply in Italy in person. Okay, so I, I you know, I just recently found out about the, the mother line and all that. So I didn't know that. So if if you don't have the link through the through your father's line and you go through your mother's line, then you actually have to go to court in Italy? Um, it depends. There's a, a one part of the na- Italian nationality law says that women could not pass citizenship before 1948. So, therefore, if you're descending from a female and this is your only viable line and your female um, had her child before 1948, she couldn't pass that citizenship. But that said, um, Italy's version of their supreme of a Supreme Court has ruled that unconstitutional and discriminatory. And therefore, they're being allowed to bring those um, cases before the court in Rome. And dozens of them, hundreds of them are being won. Oh, okay. I guess that's going to take quite some time if you have to go that route, though, huh? It takes a while, but it also takes a while to, you know, get an your application through the consulate. There are some consulates um, that are an eight-year wait just for an appointment. Oh, wow. Jeez, that's a long time. I just had a friend who, she moved there last March, and um, she had started it. And she did most of it herself, but then I think she had a little help at the end. Um, But she got to the consulate, and her grandfather's birthday was uh, off by two weeks. So they told her, you know, that she had to come back. And she said she started to cry. And the guy said, okay, well, you have to still have to come back, but you don't have to wait online. Just come back. (laughs) (laughs) So she got the right guy, I guess. (laughs) Yes, he took pity on her. After a while, it's it's quite a process when you're trying to do it all yourself. And it also takes quite a bit of time, and which is why I end up helping a lot of people. Um, because it can get so complicated to get the records exactly how they want them because they want all the names to be consistent, all the birth dates to be consistent. So oftentimes you you need to have vital records amended. Sometimes you need to do a court case to show that all these people by by these names are the same person because we have people changing names over the the years and every record of every child says their name is something different. So yeah. um, it can get complicated. With the genealogy research, um, how do you help people with that? And where would you suggest people start if they have no clue on where to, where to look for their Italian ancestors? We'll be right back. Italian Roots and Genealogy is proudly sponsored by your Dolce Vita and Dawn Matera, connecting people to their purpose in life and continuing their legacy. For more information, contact Dawn at www.yourdolcevita.com. Well, you should start with whoever's left, the oldest ones, and and ask what they know, what documents they have. 
um, it's really important to find out where your Italian ancestors came from. And this is because most of the records um, that are of genealogical use are kept at the town level and a few at the province, provincial level. Um, so therefore, if you don't know the town, it's like a needle in a haystack when you're looking for records. But usually the, that information, if it's not known by the family, can be found by general online research using Ancestry.com, you know, ordering naturalization searches, that sort of thing. Yeah, and I, w- I was lucky uh, in, in a couple of respects. With my mom's family, um, I never knew my great-grandparents' names. And for the longest time, I never asked my mother. I don't know why. But I was looking for the death records of my grandparents. And some reason, for some reason in, in New York City, there's about 10 or 15 years where the records, there's no marriage, no birth, they, no death. They must have got burnt in a fire or got lost or destroyed somehow. Um, and I don't know, maybe, maybe six months or a little bit more before my mother passed away, I mentioned this to her and she said, well, I have them. I have the death certificates for both my parents. And I knew, I knew they came from Torito, uh, but I didn't you know, know the name. So once I got that, I was able to go into the Antonati and find, boy, probably at least 100, 120 records uh, from you know, both my grandparents and um, you know, their brothers and sisters and, and all of that. And uh, my great-uncle Dominic, who was the fifth Dominic to survive from the same parents, um, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen that. I have one of those Francescos in my family. Uh, just amazing. You would think after three, they would say, okay, this is this name's not good anymore. But they, kept, <laughs> but they would keep going. I would think they'd be more so superstitious to get to the fourth or fifth child and keep naming the child the same name. Yeah, especially Italians and, you know, in the, in the farmlands, right? You would think mm-hmm. so. Right. Um, and, you know, to your point, most of them were... were uh, the you know the member farmers the women the way the farmers or seamstresses it seemed, uh, and when I came across a record when somebody was something different I went oh finally somebody did something else I think one person was a forest ranger or something like that, um, so I got them back uh, like around the 1750s which is probably as far back as you can get for that route. Uh, on my on my. Um, on my dad's family, um, I had my great-grandfather's, what I refer to as a calling card, uh, with his name on it, and saying he was from the Dukes of Capricotta. And, and that started me on the research, and I just found amazing things between him and my great-grandmother and their nobility lines and all of that kind of stuff. Um, but I wasn't 100% sure because... I don't take anything for granted. I need to make sure that everything foots. And so I did call in uh, someone to help me with that. And on my dad's father, the Sorrentinos, I couldn't find anything. I just, I couldn't find anything at all. And even now I can't find it on the Antonati, but um, they helped me find some records and make some connections. So I was able to find, go back uh, around to the same time, about the 1750s. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it can get tricky. My um, great-grandfather, he used about seven different names 
during the course of his life. Um, so when I was trying to research him, it didn't make sense. And it ended up to be a really interesting research. He ended up to be an abandoned child um, who was later reclaimed by his natural parents, whose father was also an abandoned child. And I'm not really sure why he used so many names, but um, his name was Matteo Catanese, and you, I found him under John Martin, Joe Martino, uh, Matteo Labrizzi, and multiple other names over the years. So that was an interesting piece of research. That's probably the most interesting in my family. Yeah, the only issue I had with, with some of that was, you know, the people who transcribed the, the records when they type the names on the indexing, they're not always 100% accurate. And you have to try, you know, like my grandmother's name was Piromalo, and I found Piromalo, Piromalu, uh, at least one other variation of, of that name. Um, and so you kind of have to hunt around. And my uh, great-great-grandmother was from Lucerne, Switzerland, and her last name is M-O-H-R, and I found four variations of that when I was looking up records. And, you know, you have to just trial and error sometimes to find these people. Yeah, exactly. And that was an interesting story because when I came across that, I was like, where'd Switzerland come from? And I was pecking around one day, like most of us do, I guess. And I came across the records from the uh, Neapolitan army from the 1860s. And I found her, I found her father, Bernardo Moore, and he was a captain in the Swiss Guard assigned to Naples. And later, you know, uh, his son-in-law, my great-grandfather, uh, or great-great-grandfather, uh, he was in the cavalry in the Neapolitan army at the same time. So just kind of putting things together, I said, well, he must have been a young officer mm -hmm. and they must have went to a party or something like that or whatever happened. And he met this Elisa Moore from Switzerland and they got married. Yeah, how interesting. Yeah, a lot of those military records are, are at the state archives and you can find a lot of information about someone's service. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I need to look into that a little bit further. Uh, but that was, that was pure luck. And once I, once I got that connection, um, I, was, I found a site in Switzerland, and they said, if you have any questions about geneolo genealogical records, send us an email in English, German, or Italian, and we'll answer it. So I sent them, and I sent them the name and the father's name, and they sent me um, a link to all the, the um, family trees from the prominent families in Lucerne going back to 1300. Oh, wow. So I was able to, I, and I never thought in a million years I'd be able to get Switzerland back all the way back that far. <laughs> uh, so, so I think the message to people listening who think about starting or feel like they give up, don't give up, keep trying. Sometimes you have to walk away. Yeah, sometimes it's better to walk away than come at it with fresh eyes later. Um, I've found, you know, someone's place of origin in their spouse's probate papers. You know, one, one thing to look at the spouse's probate papers for that information. So, you know, you just got to keep looking. Sometimes look at records of 
surrounding family and and you most likely find what you need right yeah that's true so i also i know that you um you do a uh, significant amount of webinars on helping people how to research how to find records i do um there's several that are up on my website, about six of them, six, seven, um, that are up for purchase on my website. Um, you can also find some of my webinars on legacy. Um, I did several for the Board for Certification of Genealogists, several for legacy um, over the years, and um, for Family Tree. So, And there's another one of mine coming out um, in, in August being redone. Um, one of the courses, which I'll be monitoring and I'll be there to answer questions if someone wants to take that course. And I have um, six others that I'm redoing the slides and there'll be six more um, webinars put up within the next couple months. Okay. And, and the, you know, the webinars, I'm assuming they're all on a different topic, but what's some of the topics that you have out there? So if people are researching or want to find the webinars, what, what to look for? Um, they're nearly all Italian genealogy related. Um, some will focus on like a case study, like walking you through um, a research on a particular family where it was only parish records. And um, I have a set kind of like a, a set of four um, on parish records to understand that particular source and what each type of information you can find in it. Um, I have one that's going to be put up on understanding um, civil records beyond the birth, death, and marriage records. So I talk about the records. I talk about the research. Um, I talk about how to handle problems. You know, when you, when you reach when you reach problems in your research, I have one about researching Italian abandoned children, um, which has its own special complications. And I found that particular webinar where a lot of people are, are interested in that. There's a lot of abandoned children and a lot of descendants from those children including me. Yeah. And what's, what, what's interesting about that is my wife's uh, mother is from Sicily. Um, and in America, her last name was Poeta, P-O-E-T-T-A. I could never, I never couldn't find anybody other than her aunts and uncles. I couldn't find anybody in Italy with that name or any of that. I finally found that her great grandfather, his last name was Poeto. And then when I understood that Proietti or Proietto is what they call, well, at least one of the names that they use for abandoned children, I said, well, some, I told my wife, I said, well, somebody along the line was probably abandoned and they took the name Proietto back, you know, maybe a couple of generations or whatever that was. Right. Uh, and that's how, you know, you know you, somebody in your great grandfather's, one of his distant relatives was probably abandoned someplace. Well, that, that started out, the Proietti um, was a designation um, for abandoned children who weren't given any surname. So like my third great grandfather, his only name he was given was Mariano. So you'll find his, sur his surname or his designation as Proietto, Esposito, and mm -hmm. a combination of other um, designations over the years. Eventually, Esposito became a surname just because, you know, subsequent generations had to have some kind of surname to use. Oh, I see. So originally, 
they just had a first name with a designation. They didn't, they didn't even have like a surname. Exactly. Um, it depended on the town. Um, initially they would give, not give a surname at all, or if they gave a surname, it was something not complimentary, something to indicate their abandoned status, which, which eventually the church felt that that was wrong. You're putting these children at a disadvantage from birth. Um, so they started insisting that the children be given a real surname, um, but they didn't um, give them a surname that was common to that town because of the stigma of an illegitimate birth. They would give them another surname. Oh, really? Wow. And now, was was did, did people, I mean, I know, you know, they would leave them in the little wheel there and all of that, and I know sometimes people would come back, but... Were adoptions common in Italy, or you, if you were an abandoned child, it, that was you were abandoned unless you, somebody came back for you. Um, adoption wasn't necessarily common because it was expensive, and ninety percent of the people were poor. So what happened with abandoned children? Um, most times they were fostered um, by a family whose whose mother was breastfeeding um, another child. And often those families would just continue to care for that child until they became of age. Um, boy abandoned children were put out of the home at 14, girls at 16. So, you know, they didn't have to take them until 21. Um, there were families that adopted, but like I said, it was expensive. So most times they just continued to foster until the children became of age. Occasionally, though, they would file the document saying, yes, the child can use my surname. But technically, you know, until that point, he had the surname he was given at birth. Oh, wow. That's tough. Yeah, I, I one of the famous ones that I found, and um, I was researching, uh, and I did a little blog post on the Italians that were at Custer's last stand. And there were seven Italians that were in the seventh cavalry at the time and only one survived. And, um, he was Giovanni Martino, John Martin in the, you know, the U S cavalry. And he survived because they sent him back to go tell the other, one of the other, you know, colonels or captains or whoever, what was going on. And he was, uh, he was an abandoned child in Italy. And uh, I don't know how many years it was, I forget, but eventually his father came to get him and he, and he didn't go. And he wound up in America, in the army, in the 7th Cavalry, at the Battle of Little Bighorn. Wow. So it's amazing. It's amazing the stuff that you find out when you start to dig, you know. Yeah, exactly. And that's very early um, for one of them to come over. Yeah, yeah. One of them, um, one of them was um, no. Actually, there was uh, the Civil War. I think it was uh, one of the Medal of Honor winners. I'm, I'm not sure if I might be mixing up my stories, but uh, there was one around the same time that was actually um, the second son of a duke or a count or whatever, and really had no station in Italy. Uh, came here joined the army, wound up being, uh, I think, a colonel or uh, finally a general at, at the end, um, and just made his way that way and, you know, 
very early on in the 1860s. Uh, actually, even before that, I think he came. So there were a few Italians floating around in the, before the mass waves came. Yeah, there were. Um, I also wanted to mention about abandoned children. Oftentimes, when they were going to emigrate, if, say, they were raised by a cousin, as, as sometimes happened, um, they were only told their parents' names because they were leaving. And I've had several situations, probably well, probably more than 10 over the years, where they left Italy under one name and they arrived under another name. And uh, in particular, I had this one family called Boot, B-U-T-T, um, that immigrated to Australia. Their ancestor's surname was Della Chiesa from the church. So, you know, if I didn't um, determine this by looking at, you know, surrounding families' records, one would never have put those two together. They're not even similar. Right, yeah. Boy, that's, a, that's some find for sure. One last thing I want to talk to you about is I, uh, I believe that you're also uh, putting together something on YouTube that people will be able to see soon. Um, yes, I just released my YouTube channel. It's called Italy Revealed. Um, I've got one video up already. I've got two that will probably be up, be up by Sunday. Um, and the channel's about Italian history and culture. So it's going to go beyond just travel videos, that sort of thing. We're going to focus on different historical things. Um, I'm working on, I was working on one today. It's for a winery um, in the Bergamo province that is also attached to this church. And it's fascinating. We toured the winery, we, we toured the church, and the owner is just a wealth of information about the history of the land, the church, the winery, um, which used to be a monastery and has been inhabited since the 14th century. So for those who are either interested in citizenship or, you know, hiring you to do genealogy research, how would one get about contacting you? Sure. Um, my email is melanie, M-E-L-A-N-I-E, at italyancestry.com. And my business is Los Schiavo Genealogica. Um, I'm based in Raleigh, North Carolina, and I have um, an office in Cusone in the Bergamo province of Italy. Okay, well, that's great, Melly. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us and uh, hope you are staying safe down there in North Carolina. We are. I hope you are too. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Facebook in the Italian Genealogy Group or at www.italiangenealogy.blog.